This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Good afternoon, everybody. And welcome to Curious Coaches Club. Um, like many people, I'm slightly disappointed that we didn't have the right to the Top Gun soundtrack. And we couldn't have any Berlin playing in the background. Um, hopefully there'll be no uh, F-14 Tomcats ruining the sound as we go through today. But um, that's probably enough of the Top Gun uh, references for today. So, good afternoon. My name is Nick Levitt. Um, I'm head of coaching here at UK Coaching. And some of you may have been expecting Chris Marshall today to be joining us from the FA. Um, unfortunately, Chris can't make it today, so we have um, a slightly better-looking stand-in coming with Chris uh, than Chris, which is Sarah Green from England Netball. Sarah's the performance coach developer there, and also has a, a rich background in coaching from schools and grassroots all the way through to women's senior teams in the football world, which I'm sure we can get into later on as well. And we're also delighted to have with us Jonathan Mayles. And Jonathan is a, a paddle sports coach, but I'm not going to steal any of their thunder as they kind of get into sharing a little bit about themselves. So, um, Sarah, just give us a quick intro, just who you are and uh, what, what you do. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so as Nick mentioned, um, I've been working in England netball now for about a year. Um, so purely just like performance coach development, so working with um, coaches along the performance pathway, um, along with like, so um, a junior like Roses or like the Roses Academy, and then with the coaches all the way up to the seniors. Um, I'm an A-licensed football coach, so worked with, like Nick said, like grassroots, so started like just working 5 to 11s with like Tesco Skills Programme with the FA and then worked all the way like at the FA for like 10, 11 years, just doing loads of different stuff, which kind of finished working with MPE and Premier League Primary Stars and then alongside that coaching Derby, so play Tier 3 women's football and um, more of like a performance environment. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, I just kind of get one of those whiteboards behind me that you can scribble onto. It just looks cool, I think. Uh, way better than my backdrop. Jonathan, tell us about yourself. Hello. Hi, um, Jonathan Mayles. Uh, I'm an Australian originally. I grew up uh, in Australia. I was on the Australian slalom canoeing team uh, through the 1980s. Uh, since then, I've, uh, I trained as a sports psychologist, but I've also worked as a coach. So I worked with the British uh, slalom canoeing team for 12 years. Uh, as a coach and sports psychologist. I currently work with the British freestyle kayaking team as a sports psychologist. So a bit of a background in both coaching and sports psychology uh, and primarily with individual sports. Um, uh, but I guess also you know, sports like freestyle kayaking where creativity and innovation is a big part of the performance. Awesome, thank you. Um, I'm really looking forward to the session today. And when uh, well, we met with Chris earlier on in the week, um, and we started to talk about this with uh, with Jonathan as well, and we recognised this could easily be a three four hour session. So um, so yeah, strap yourselves in, but we'll get through as much as we can within the hour. So that's the plan for today. We're going to start to talk about well, what is a maverick and where it comes from, and some of the behaviours that we might see 
from some of the people that we're working with in different environments. And then the second half is we're going to get into some detail about, well, how can we really coach and help uh, the, the environment, bring out the best of them, uh, and what we can really do as coaches to get uh, a good understanding of the kind of people that we're working with. And one of the things I think that Jonathan and I gained from speaking to Chris was understanding where the term maverick came from. Um, and Chris enlightened us, which was brilliant. So Samuel Augustus Maverick, he's the person that it originally came from, uh, a Texan lawyer and a ranch owner. And he refused to brand his cattle. Uh, he just let them roam free. So unbranded cattle were known as mavericks and they became the independently minded ones. So certainly not going to suggest in any way that you brand any of your people that you work with. Um, but that's where the term came from. So Jonathan, give us a bit more of a background in into, well, what do you think it is that makes someone a maverick? Well, I think it's a really great question. We can look at all sorts of different dimensions. I mean, but you know, I'm a sports psychologist, so I'll start from the psychology side. Um, clearly, you've got someone here, depending on how we define the word maverick, but someone who's thinking differently, someone who isn't necessarily conforming to the existing ways of working. Uh, they might be a bit more rebellious, they might be a bit more creative than normal, uh, might be someone who just struggles with following the rules. So uh, essentially, someone who's a maverick is someone who's thinking and behaving differently from the expectations of the group around them. Now, whether that's a good thing or not, it'd be good for us to talk about. Absolutely. And Sarah, you and I discussed this earlier on, and, and I said that this, this topic really kind of chimes with me because often I've been labelled maverick. Um, uh, what, what do you kind of make of, of Jonathan's explanation and kind of then your understanding of me and other people that you might have seen in that kind of way? Well, you definitely are, so that, let's just agree on that. Um, I think it is really interesting because, um, like what Jonathan was saying, I think we often talk about it linked a little bit to creativity and that little bit of kind of like, do, you know, doing things out of the norm. Um, and it kind of led me to think about um, more like the boundaries and then is, is it just about someone who deviates from the norm and so um, who sets those boundaries but is it always about um, extravagant behavior or is it just kind of not conforming to normal so could it be someone who's quite quiet and doesn't if you're in a team sport that doesn't engage in that activity is, 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 a, is a more quiet person that sits on the boundaries is, is that a maverick or is it always the extravagant and wild side of that behavior yeah, so it's a great question. Um, uh, as with all of our sessions, people in the chat box, feel free to throw in, if you want to get involved in the discussion, throw some thoughts into there as well. What's your thoughts on that? Is it, is it conformity and, or not? And, and who decides what normal is or isn't? Well, well again, it's a great question. And, and I think uh, when we were talking about this the other day, I think as you made the point that uh, with the, the Brit Art School, it was in that context there where the norm was to be creative and outlandish it was pretty hard to be a maverick and maybe in a really creative environment the maverick is a someone who's the person who's conventional so i think the whole point about a maverick is that it depends on the context and um, so I, I think we need to be careful about labeling an individual as a maverick because that can be that's a bit of a, uh, a limiting uh limiting description what's important is the context uh, so what's maverick in one behavior it might be completely normal in, in, in the other uh, yeah. So I think it's a good question for the coaches right now to listening to this is to start to think about, 
okay, in your particular context, in your particular sport, what does the word maverick mean for you? Is it something that you welcome because you really are a coach who likes creativity and difference? Or perhaps you're someone who prefers things to fit into a nice predictable pattern, in which case someone who stands out might be more of a problem. So really context dependent. Mm. So what, what can you kind of think of with some of the coaching experiences that you've had where do you find that? Do you find that we kind of, you know, coaches then that you've worked with that like to, you know, add that label to something because it helps people understand it? Um, how does that kind of relate to some of your coaching yeah. experiences? Yeah, I mean, I think in the last, like, I've been quite fortunate to kind of like grow up as a coach, be, be around some kind of like really talented coaches and stuff. But I think over the last couple of seasons when I've been at Derby, being part of that coaching team and reflecting on how we've led and managed that group of players has been really helpful. And I think what has really kind of come out to me is like when you've got a large squad like that, so you've got a large group of players, you know, into your 20s, um, there'll just be people that um, are just different. To, to, to me and to the other staff members and what really helped was that we tried to look at how we aligned those um, players to each staff member because there were just some people that fell outside of like our understanding as individuals or didn't maybe like I would say like pushed our buttons a little bit but was just because we, we couldn't connect with them and maybe like see things from their perspective which I know like as a coach we might say we should try to understand all of our players but sometimes that's that's really difficult because of our time limitations and just like our personalities so we tried to align that you know to try to better understand where they were coming from and, and see how that would work for us and yeah Jonathan you had similar yeah look I, I think Sarah makes a really good point there that if you're saying that uh the maverick is very contextual then i think it's really important to think about the coach athlete relationship and and looking to find a situation where you can uh where the coach can really start to understand and appreciate where is this particular person coming from uh because i think that understanding is really important you know the thing i try and remember is that most people when they wake up each morning wake up wanting to do a good job most people wake up wanting to, to get on and be productive and inside our heads, everyone is the hero of their own story. So if I see someone behaving in a way that I don't understand, or I think it's maverick, or I think it's wrong, it's really important. I've got to somehow try to get some empathy with them and understand from their point of view, from this person's point of view, they are in the right. They are doing what they believe is the right thing to do at this moment. That's what we all do. And if I can't get there to that understanding, maybe I've got to stretch my own boundaries, my own understanding, my own empathy. Or maybe it's a matter of finding a different coach, someone who can get inside their head and understand why, for them, what they're doing is the right thing. So do you, do you think some of that comes down to um, starting with understanding yourself and your own kind of values and beliefs? Do you think that then has an impact on what you consider a maverick to be? I would say so, absolutely. And I think one of the things which probably happens as coaches become more and more mature um, is that it gets easier to actually to detach from your own values. I think when we're starting off as coaches, you know, we, we sort of value frameworks and ways of working that can be a little bit rigid. And I think from that point of view, it can be harder to adapt and flex to different people. But I think as coaches become more experienced and more mature, we've just got more wisdom and more perspective and able to understand that 
my perspective and my values as a coach might be true for me and might not be true for everyone else. And I think that, that leads into a question within a team or within a squad. Uh, whilst you might want to appreciate different points of view, are there things which you feel are going to be non-negotiable? I think this is one of the challenges coaches face when they're dealing with players who are different. Where do you draw the line? Where do you actually say, no, you can be as creative as, as you like, but this is non-negotiable. I was interested to hear what Sarah's got to say about how coaches manage those. That real challenge, I think, where do you draw the line? Where do you allow freedom and where do you actually uh, need to be consistent? Yeah, and actually what I was just thinking about, Jonathan, was when you're saying that, like what, how much easier I find um, to manage being a maverick, whether that's on field or whether that's off. So, for example, like um, as a coach, I, I find it like really enjoyable to kind of um, let players be creative and explore different ways to kind of you know deal with issues and problems when they're on the field but sometimes off the pitch when we're talking about their behavior um, and and maybe being a bit mavericky and can not turning up in like the right kit or not wanting to do gym sessions and stuff like that and that actually I, I feel like that's much harder so it, it's it's an interesting way to think about that all of the components of what makes someone's a maverick on and off court which i think phil raised in the chat box about it's not just off field or it's not just on there's lots of different components that might make someone um, a maverick yeah absolutely and i also wonder how important is is their level of ability because just because someone's a maverick it doesn't actually equate to them being an effective performer mm. so i can be careful here you know that, that being creative and different isn't doesn't equal that they're going to be good at what they do they yeah, might just be disruptive without being good how do you find that tipping point then from where, um, I guess, uh, good and helpful and productive for the team gently kind of goes too far the other way and they become a negative influence? How do you find that tipping point where you kind of your, your tolerance changes almost? Absolutely. And I guess this is where having... I guess in team sports, but also in squads, you know, you can have a high degree of autonomy. You can have people doing different things as long as they've also got alignment around what is it we need to do. So where, so I guess the question I'd frame it differently is where as a team or a squad do we need absolute alignment? And that's going to vary from sport to sport where you draw those boundaries. There will be some aspects where you do need perfectly aligned. How do we measure our success? What are the particular tactics we're going to play? what kind of technique, you know, as a coach, you've probably got to decide where that alignment is and make sure everyone's absolutely there. Then alongside that, you can allow lots of autonomy so that you can have high autonomy and high alignment. But if, I think if you've got one out of the other, if you've got high alignment with no autonomy, then everyone's playing like robots. You probably don't want that. If you've got high autonomy with no alignment, everyone is doing their own thing. Maybe that's an interesting way of thinking about it. You want alignment and you want autonomy. Possibly go for both. Yeah. What does that look like in some of the coaching roles that you've had, Sarah? So if you took that to um, a school working with, you know, year one, year twos, uh, as, as I deal with in homeschooling on a daily basis, um, what, what might that look like if you've got some, some little people running around where, where they're, they're trying to find their own boundaries of what things might be anyway in a different way to, um, 
the teenage brain, and we'll get onto that in a second, but what might that look like with some of the real kind of little ones that are really starting to explore and challenge those boundaries? Yeah, madness. So I think um, like your little person is a is a really good example. Like he, you know, they're they're just really exploring kind of like what the world is about and um, trying to make their own kind of understanding of like how things work, what they like, what they don't like. And I think that's really important. And I think in the past, like when I reflect back on when I was first put in that environment, like in 2008, when I started going into schools, working with all those little year groups, I tried to I tried to probably get them to conform to like well this is how I, I think you should do it I expect you to do that and um, and because it was safe for me and I, I knew and th they were those boundaries and I was trying to get them to kind of sit within those you know for safety for learning because I thought that was the best thing for them because I think exploring is messy isn't it and we all know that like and allowing some oh here's your little first <laughs> Sorry, that was a six-year-old coming in to blow me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> because it's messy, isn't it? And it, it, you know, it's it's hard for us as coaches. But I think just like reflecting back on what like Jonathan was saying there about like autonomy and stuff. Like I think that is really important. I think empowerment is important. But there also has to be some boundaries. And I think where I'm intrigued to kind of like think about that in my brain at the moment is like exploding with it is when it compromises the team. So I think obviously whether in an individual sport, the coach is there to kind of, and I think the battle would be if we disagree, if the coach and the, and the individual athlete disagree or they're not sure, you know, they're not sure how it might go, but there's some freedom to go and try. But if an individual is going a bit rogue or, you know, what doesn't want to conform, I think the impact on the wider team, um, that's as a coach, I find that really challenging to kind of um, deal with. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting point, certainly what I've seen in, in individual sports is that the more talented the athlete is, the more they can get away with. And I think whilst that's understandable, I think it can also be really disruptive to the other players who are conforming, feeling that they can't get away with stuff in the same way that the, the, you know, that the star can. So I think there's a really important issue here for coaches to think about managing those boundaries. Uh, and there's an interesting question in the chat box about values and what you do with values, with team charter and so on, it's been compromised. Um, I think if ever you set out a team charter and, and raise and identify values within the team, what you've got to accept is that it will be inevitable that those values will be compromised and broken. So rather than being surprised or outraged when that happens, you need to expect that and you need to become curious about it. And that's quite a different mind shift. So rather than coming down hard on someone compromising the values, a really a much more productive thing for a coach to do is to get curious enough what's happened here. Because we sat down in good faith and we agreed these things. So if someone hasn't been able to live up to that, that's a really important opportunity for the team to understand why and to look at what's going on, what are some of the other unspoken things that are going on in the team that might be really important in these services. There's a couple of different thoughts there, I guess, but in terms of that specific question about values, if it get, if the value is broken, don't get angry, get curious. Yeah, I, I mean, look, that that as a takeaway point for for people listening is a superb one, and and Dennis Rodman has has obviously come up as a as a character on there, um, and and we did a last dance 
talk a couple of weeks back, which was fascinating, and he was one of the many topics we could have discussed. Um, and Phil Jackson's handling of that when when he came back after going to Vegas for four or five days uh, instead of the two he was told he could go for. Um, and he walked back into training, and Phil Jackson just said in front of the group, Dennis, I'm really disappointed by your behavior. And then they got back to playing. And of course, we didn't see some of the things that might have happened behind the scenes about it. We got a, an edited version of it. But but what you got was a very grown-up way of dealing with somebody because he knew what he brought on the court was bang on. And I think we may have seen exactly what you said there, Jonathan. If if he didn't deliver on court in game, uh, and with certainly with that group of players, they would have managed him in a very, very different way. But he, he got back and he got back and delivered straight away. Um, but it's really interesting as to where that kind of point may lie with different things. And I think it's a really slippery slope for coaches to watch because uh, the other thing I have seen is you've got someone who's very talented. Uh, at what point do you let that overcome other ethics or values that you, that you might want within the team? So it is a, it is, it's a tricky issue for coaches and managers to deal with, for sure. And, and again, just because someone is talented, where, where do you draw that line? You know, if, if, if they do something illegal, as opposed to against the value, if they do something that hurts someone else, uh, if they do, you know, if they cheat or take drugs, where do you, how do you hold that boundary? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in, in my previous world working with the, uh, at the FA, with Sarah and the England football teams there, so we used to have SLR as our code of conduct, which was safety, learning, respect. It wasn't a massive, long, drawn out, don't do this, don't do that. Safety, learning, respect. And people could get away with doing things as long as it didn't compromise that. So the kids that bounced a ball at the back of the group while the coach was talking, they're okay. They might need to do that. But if it starts to affect the learning of other kids, then we've got an issue and we, we step in and we deal with it. Or if it starts to affect the safety of others, then absolutely. But I think as coaches, we have to start to understand, well, what does that look like in our context? And as Jonathan said, every individual's context might look different. So if Sarah's working with, you know, year one or year two kids, and or she's working with the, the Derby women's senior team, that context changes. Um, but I think the point that you make that I'm interested in your view on it, Sarah, um, is that one about being curious about someone else's behavior? And is that something that you've started to bring into your own coaching to help you gain understanding? Yeah, and it, it's definitely helped me as a coach developer. So, you know, moving from football to netball where, um, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily like an experienced netball coach. I'm a player and, I, you know, I think I understand the game pretty well. Um, but it kind of helped me to lead from a, a curiosity point of view or like I wonder why or you know and I've kind of done quite a lot of kind of personal CPD over the past kind of year around behavior and kind of just I think it's a really good place to be to to, to come from to talk to someone to create create connection is to not kind of say oh that's weird oh, that's that's a strange behavior or that behavior is annoying just to go oh that's interesting like I wonder why I, I think that's a, a really um, powerful place to kind of 
observe from is is to kind of understand and i think it's a it's a really good growth place i i think that i've definitely reached that point now where i could just find loads of things interesting because um i'm at a point now where i don't think i'm perfect and i, I don't think that kind of like my my all of my coaching is uh, i'm probably maverick in a different way like i, I just I kind of want to go out there and try and understand lots of different things, which to some people is annoying because I might change my mind all the time or change the way that I'm doing something. But I think it's just a really comfortable place for me to be in at the moment. Brilliant. Thank you. That's a lovely summary. And and one of the things I think that links to that uh, as we move through that kind of continuum is is the reality of working with teenagers and they often get kind of labelled in kind of different ways and the, the challenge of the teenage brain and troublemakers or, you know, people risk takers, all that kind of stuff. It'd be really interesting to hear your view, Jonathan, of the, of the teenage brain and, and some of the things from a psych perspective that might be going on there. And, and then why the kind of, or, or how that kind of has an, an effect on coaches and, and coaching. Sure, absolutely. And I guess one thing to say up front is that uh, the term maverick is probably a particularly unhelpful term for teenagers. So it'd be good to sort of disentangle that a little bit because one of the things that happens as we go through teenagers, if you're kind of plotting aspects of the brain's development from, from little children up, it sort of makes a steady progress up like this. But then when it hits the teenage years, certain functions just start to go down again. So our ability to actually uh, to plan, to inhibit behaviour, uh, to think ahead, uh, some 10-year-olds are going to be better than your typical 14 or 15-year-old because the brain, as a teenage brain, it goes through a really massive rewiring uh, and a lot of functions which we might take for granted if in younger children or in older children don't happen with teenagers. That ability to inhibit, uh, executive function, the ability to plan ahead, to look at consequences, it goes out the window. So when teenagers behave spontaneously, when they behave without thinking ahead, when they behave recklessly and take risks, that is all normal behaviour for teenagers. Yeah, it, it's not them acting out. That is just how teenagers, the teenage brain works. The other really important thing, which is a bit contradictory when you're thinking about conformity and so on, is that it's easy for us to think that the teenage brain is a, you know, the teenagers are all about rebelling. No, teenagers are all about fitting in and conforming. They need to conform. It's really important when we go through that stage, we crave fitting into a tribe. That looks like it's rebelling because many of the tribes that teenagers want to seek out are different from the normal tribes they've belonged to before. So if I'm a 55-year-old man, it might look like rebellion because they're dressing weird. But inside the teenager, they're finding their brain. They're finding their tribe again. So they're seeking conformity, even though it looks like rebellion from the outside. And does some of that link to them kind of finding and seeking their own self-identity? Yeah, but the, the, they are, but they're seeking that identity through others. This is a quite okay. interesting thing that through the early teenage years, that sense of identity will come from others, from the tribe that I belong to. But then as they come out of the teenage years, this often is around the kind of time they're going to university or early 20s, there's a big shift. And the identity then start, they start to look for something that's more, um, uh, that they can take more ownership of. 
classics, the conversation I've had many times with, with, with young, uh, young athletes this age is the pull between, they've gone to uni, first year university, and they're caught between, do I go out to the party with my friends? Because that's one tribe that's pulling them. They've got another tribe that's emerging, but I want to be a good athlete. I want to take my sport seriously. And, and that pull is, is a really key pull. And part of that is because they're trying to work out, well, who am I? What is my identity? Is my identity my mates going out getting drunk at uni? Or is my identity someone who's really inspiring to be good at sport? But both those identities are outside of them. It's not till we get to our 20s or even early 30s we start to form an identity that's more autonomous, that's more, more self-contained. Mm. And an interesting question there. So, so is it guidance that they need at that stage, or is it a little bit of finding their own way? <laughs> I'd say it's a bit of both. Uh, I think there's something around giving constraints and rules is really important at that stage, because without it, then that's where you get the real operality. So from a coach's point of view, giving the constraints that are broad enough for people to play in becomes really important. Now, you, you can't play sport unless you've got rules. Mm. Yeah, you, you've got to have rules within which you know how to perform. Uh, and I think that goes for off the field as well. So I think good coaches will do that and, again, help people set boundaries, define behaviour. And when they cross those boundaries, again, it's about getting curious and helping someone learn rather than coming down on them like a ton of bricks. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you hear from, from Jonathan's uh, explanation there? What was the bit that you kind of noticed? Yeah, I think it, um, it kind of really resonates with me about um, that, that whole teenage brain stuff. So like when we were at the FA, they'd kind of like done quite a lot of work around kind of like working with teenagers, kind of like the best way to kind of like put in sessions to shoot them and stuff. And when I was first starting out as a coach, I really did not want to coach teenagers at all. Like I just thought that it wasn't for me. Like I really struggled to kind of understand how to kind of work. Um, in that environment and I honestly thought that I would never be able to do it Um, I think as you you kind of there's probably something in there I don't know Jonathan about like a coach and the athlete's brain kind of like or being aligned I was probably still quite young then myself so kind of might have been kind of not you know just bashing heads and stuff but I think now there's an element of kind of like you say like really understanding that whole like um that they're say that they're trying to like find their way and often you know it's not about kind of trying to purposely rebel against us or purposely rebel against the world and you know like I think being a young person being a teenager now is, is really difficult mm. it's, it's really tough so I think some kind of understanding and um and being upfront about the behaviors as a coach that um not that I expect but I would say one of the things that helped me was kind of the behaviors that I find kind of like frustrating or equally the behaviors that really please me so you know and I think that really allowed them you know working we had some young players in the in the derby squad really allowed them to kind of understand oh if I turn up um, and I'm 30 minutes late Sarah will be annoyed about that so they they they, they would know to expect that so it, I think just being upfront and being okay and being honest about the things that made me happy or the things that made me frustrated really helped us to establish a good relationship beyond kind of just coaching the sport Brilliant. So, we're, sorry, we're, we're about halfway through now, um, and my brain is already starting to fry with the amount of notes I'm trying to scribble down here. Um, I guess the the two things I think that have really kind of resonated for me that I scribbled down on the top of my pad here is one is autonomy versus alignment. 
And I think it'd be really interesting in the second half of the show as we get into a bit more on the how piece um, to, to start to explore how we find those, ba- uh, those uh, kind of balance. And the second thing is, is being curious about behavior. And uh, I think my, my fiance is a psychologist, so I definitely see that in her all the time, Jonathan. That I, that's the message that really comes through is never being um, judgmental or anything on top. It, it's just being curious about understanding where that's come from, what it is, what it's about. And I think that's, again, it's a really, really important message for coaches is, is rather than that initial you know, they challenge your values because they've not done something that conforms to your view of the world. Let's start to be curious about, well, what's informed and where that's come from. So that was definitely the two things for me that have really resonated. Um, and again, feel free to put in the chat box on there, you know, what are the things that have come through for, for you about that first half of the show? So, so have a think about that as you kind of go through that. Um, um, and we're going to start this second part um, with, with a question back straight to you, Sarah, from Jenny Cody. Uh, does sport create or discover or discourage mavericks or maverick behavior? I know. What a question. What a question that is. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, uh, I don't know. I think it depends on what... Uh, on what sport because I think we were chatting earlier Nick about um different sports so my and this could be stereotypical I don't know but there are certainly some sports where I think um like you know we spoke about skateboarding or maybe like surfing and stuff like that where I think you know those those are just encouraged to kind of just go and and do whatever you want to do explore try and kind of like be free with that I think um maybe my perception sometimes is like you know in football sometimes the coach has too much power and it can be too much about the coach and how they want to play and the style of football and the style of kind of you know um tactics and stuff so it um but again i think it goes back to earlier on we were talking about what like what is a maverick so i think there's that whole thing of like um maybe some people think they're negative because a lot of people in the chat box have been talking about Dennis Rodman and, you know, his going off to Las Vegas and stuff like that. Whereas I'd still like to think that a maverick is a positive thing. I'd I'd like to think it's someone that is um, being themselves and maybe is just not sitting in with it within my, my boundaries. But I think that's a good thing. So when I think about any mavericks that I've dealt with, it's letting them know that they're just testing my boundaries and maybe I need to check and challenge my own behavior and, and, and realign that and let, and either let them know something or listen to what they're saying. Um, so uh, in that summary, I would suggest that maybe sport discourages them by my own sense, by my own thinking. Um, if, if I wanted to, you know, if Jen wants an answer, then I, <laughs> maybe maybe sport discourages them, which is a terrible thing. It, it is a terrible thing to think about. And but I think that comes down to the confidence and the the comfortableness of the coach to be okay with someone acting out. I, I just think that tells you something. The same with your little person, Nick, is when he acts out, he's t- he's letting you know that he's not happy with you. <laughs> Yeah, that's what, that's why he gets locked in the garage. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, tell us tell us about the world of um, of freestyle canoeing and what that might look like, because I can imagine, as you said earlier, there, you know, to be seen as a maverick in that world might look entirely different because of the nature of the sport. But 
many people, uh, and like myself, I'm probably Sarah from a, a classic team game background, wouldn't be aware of the kind of world that you live in there. So tell us a little bit about that and then how that kind of manifests itself. Well, look, it, it, it's a good question. I've been thinking about this um, as we go on. I think um, no, freestyle canoeing, it's a little bit like gymnastics on the water. So it, it is about being creative and expressive in, 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 in what we can do. But it's also one of the disciplines of canoeing that up until recently hasn't had any funding. So it's come very much, it's still very much close to its grassroots uh, aspect, kind of where slalom canoeing was probably 20 years ago, maybe where sprint kayaking was back in the 50s. So the, the, the sort of motivation that gets people into freestyle isn't about winning medals. It's about having fun. It's about being creative, being on the water with your mates, having a good time. And so the question, does sport create uh, reduce mavericks? I think it does, because if you think about how anyone starts any sport, a little kid, they do it because it's fun. Is that, uh, that's a pretty big, big statement, but I no, think I agree. it's fair agree. enough. We start, kids start sport because it's fun and they can have, it's playful. It's basically playful. As any sport becomes more developed, and freestyle is an interesting point at the moment where it's starting to become more professional, more aligned with a lot of the world-class programs, being playful has less of a role because now it's about being serious. It's about being a professional. It's about training. It's about being on a talent pathway. It's about you know achieving results. And I think that's true for any sport, particularly the ones in Britain now, whether in the world-class program where you've got now, UK sport, uh, there's, there's a whole system here that's designed to produce medals and it's done that very, very well. But it hasn't done that by encouraging, encouraging Mavericks. It has done that by encouraging a level of consistency and conformity and predictability where if you want to get on, you've got to fit the system. And I know that within that, there will be coaches who will be bucking against that. There will be programs who will be bucking to create the space for Mavericks to happen. But overall, you can't create a big system that's consistent without squashing people into it. And I think that's a real challenge for sport, for all sports. How do you preserve the energy, the creativity, the fun, the playfulness that gets people into sport and, not all, and encourage people to perform, get better, and produce results on the world stage? Mm. And it's easy to get that wrong because it's much easier to squash people into the production line than to create that kind of agility that allows to give space to Mavericks as well. Yeah, brilliant. And that, it, I think that explains why what we're talking about is just so complex um, to try and find that balance of all of those things. And, and as Kevin says in the chat box there, it's definitely the skill and the value of coaching. So Sarah, from your experiences then, how did you make uh, Derby ladies uh, an enjoyable or kind of playful environment when you're expected to win, because that's the nature of women's senior football there. How did you kind of find that balance between the two? Did you get it right or did you not? Or what did you try and do? I've got it wrong lots of times. Um, I mean, <laughs> you're quite, we were quite fortunate because um, I would say we were quite fortunate, fortunate for a women's team, to be fair. like we, We've got a coaching team of um, eight staff. So, you know, goalkeeper coaches, three outfield staff, S&C, all that kind of stuff. So we're fortunate to have like a good team of people around us. Um, 
so Sam, who I coach with at Derby, she also like an e-licensed coach. We know each other like really well. We would, you know, just go like decide what we were going to do, plan it out and stuff. And I think some my reflections, you know, I remember like after the first half of the season was just like, we just forgot, like we just forgot like exactly what Jonathan said about why they started because we get consumed so easily that there was something to be won and lost, you know, like I've run the team on a couple of occasions through the FA Cup games and I'm terrible because I'm not a cutthroat person. Like I, I remember like why we started, I see the bigger picture all the time. I'm not, I'm not very cutthroat. I won't go all out to kind of like try and win the game. I'd be terrible. Like as a permanent manager, I would, I'm just better as a number two. But at the best sessions I had, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I went to B&M Bargains. This is not an advert, by the way. I went to B&M Bargains and they have like all these toys in the toy section, like head baskets and this old school sketch pads and stuff. And we'd play like a game on a Thursday. I stole this from England Hockey. Thinking Thursdays, we'd do little games and it would be an end zone game from like the FA level one. But every time we'd do it, we'd just have a different tool or like a different fun activity with it. And they loved it because the principles of the game were the same what I was teaching them, but they just got the opportunity to be silly, to like to have fun. And they just were having so much fun and enjoying it. But was I seeing as a coach the observables? Were they still the same thing? Absolutely. But they were just enjoying it much more. And that reminded, I loved those sessions too. And that reminded me about thinking back to what Jonathan said that the starting point is always they're there to have a good time no one turns up to train and thinking oh, I'm not really bothered if this is terrible it, it's always about kind of enjoying the session yeah absolutely and I think it's an interesting point in there that that links to that 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 Dyer put in about performance pathways do they remove or discourage mavericks and um Murray Jones is on is on the call today who um I worked with at Fulham for a long time and I definitely saw from a football academy pathway world. Um, I, I tended to find that kids went through the system that were the average ones because they conformed. They were there on time. They behaved well. When you said, come in, they came in. When you said, collect the equipment, they collected the equipment. And they never did anything that was outside of that kind of parameter. So when it comes to you know, release or attention of children from talent pathways, the ones that conform and are liked by the coach will then go through all the way through because they don't challenge the system. Yeah. Um, and often the coach that fit that bill as well, the coach wanted conformity. So if we haven't got maverick coaches that are willing to do things differently as well, we're just going to end up with players that conform because we know that, like a point like and we like people like us so how do we then get coaches jonathan that have an element of maverick in their own coaching how, how do we kind of find that too well that's a, that's a brilliant question um i guess a key part here is you know it's the craft of coaching and in itself in in, in understanding what does it mean to be creative in your schools but i think it goes right back to something you said at the start of this this whole conversation about what, you know, if I'm a coach, what's my own self-awareness about my own need to, to fit in or, or not? How comfortable do I feel with my ability to take risks or challenge the norm? 
Because if I'm not comfortable and I'm feeling scared and feeling that I've got to conform, otherwise my job's at risk. I've got to conform, otherwise we won't hit our targets and miss our funding. I've got to conform. So within the individual, if the player, if the coach, him or herself, is feeling constrained and conforming, then there's no way they're going to be able to tolerate Mavericks on the, on the pitch. But if that coach is self-aware and mature enough to be able to go beyond that, to overcome that fear of rejection or the fear of criticism, the fear of ridicule, and be willing to have some fun themselves, to invent themselves, to, to be creative themselves, then I think it's going to be much easier for them to, to work with athletes and players who are beyond the, the, the strict boundaries. So I think something here around personal development and personal growth as a coach is really critical. Mm, I think you really, you, you, I think you, you need to be very confident in your own coaching approach and the way that you do things in order to work like that. And, and I always used to get stick up Fulham because I used to, I took a little stool with me. I, I bought it on eBay, one pound fifty. It was brilliant until Ryan sat on it and he had a quite big bum, so he broke it. But he was an under ten, and I worked with under tens and under elevens, and I had to sit in my stool and watch him play. But people's perception of a coach is. You're stood on the side of the pitch, you're shouting at the kids and telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. Now, couldn't care less whether they won or lost. And, and, you know, and I said right from the start to the, to, uh, the guy full time at the club, I said, look, if the first question you asked me on a Sunday was, did you win? I said, I'm going to quit because I, I couldn't care less whether we won or lost. I'm working with 10 year old kids trying to get them to be an amazing 11 year old. You know, my mortgage is not on the line. But sometimes we see coaches that don't quite get that balance right. And, and therefore, the environment's quite challenging for them as well. Mm. So let's let's drill down a little bit more into the hows. So, for Sarah, you know, how do you go about planning in a team sport? And whilst Jonathan can probably talk to an individual sport more, you still probably got a team of different individuals. How would you go about planning for, you know, a maverick? And we're going to still, call, you know, that was the name of the session. How are you going to plan for somebody that? operates a little bit differently and doesn't want to conform within your team coaching session? God, I mean, that's like, I could write, if I know the complete correct answer to that, I could probably like write a book and make millions, I'm sure. But I don't think there is like one particular answer because I think it would be fair to say that everyone's acting as a maverick on a different occasion. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's not like someone, I haven't found that someone is consistently acting as a maverick, like permanently, like it, it's different. So I, I think it's just the same as I would like plan for any other session. I just kind of maybe plan out my session and just think about kind of who might find this challenging at this point, who might, you know, who might's going to excel at this point. So for example, like interestingly, and I think this is interesting. I don't know what you guys think about this is, I would say that one of the more maverick players that we had last year was one of the goalkeepers. Now they are renowned for being kind of um, mavericky at times. Um, And, at times, you know, a lot of the stuff that we were doing, say if we were doing on a Thursday, a thinking Thursday type game and stuff, you know, they're getting lots of shots on goal. One of our goalies hated um, the balls being pushed into the back of the net. And I didn't realise that until she kind of verbalised that to me. We had to have the balls away because it made her feel like she'd conceded loads of goals and stuff. And it really took me some time to kind of really adjust to that, make sure that I would kind of really consider like how they were feeling at all times let them know what the practice was about so 
I think it's just kind of like being prepared to make mistakes. So if you make a mistake and you, but you've got a good relationship with them, they're, they're not going to kind of hate you forever, but it's being prepared to kind of own up to that. I made a few mistakes when I was running fitness sessions for the girls on behalf of the SNC. I told them that they had to run longer than they did. And did they just do what I told them to do? Yes, they, they did. Because, and I was like, yeah, you need to do it. But then once I'd made a mistake and kind of like, you know, fessed up to that and owned up to that, you know, it, it was easier. So I think it's just maybe showing some vulnerability and thinking about that and also thinking about how they might manage that success, how they might manage failure. Just help me. But I, I kind of, I can't say I worry about getting it wrong and I worry about how they'll react. But I'm also confident that I can be okay to say, I got that wrong. I'm sorry. And, and, you know, and I'll do better next time. And, you know, I'll think about the impact of that. Jonathan, you talked earlier on, um, which links really neatly to what Sarah said about kind of knowing them in their environment. How have you gone about doing that with some of the people that you've worked with in your experience? Oh, well, look, it, it, it is about trying to build a relationship with them. And I think regardless of whether you call someone a maverick or not, or whether they're talented or not, all human beings have got some basic needs. You know, each one of us, we need to be liked, we need to have a sense of control, we need to have a sense of getting better at things, we need a sense of connection. You know, there are basic needs which we all have. So as a coach, trying to understand the athlete or the player and understand, so what is making this person tick? What, what are they trying to achieve through their behaviour? Do they need more control than I'm giving them? They need more affirmation than they're getting. They need more attention than they're getting. But there's going to be some basics in the play. So as a coach, how can I help that, that player, that athlete, meet their human needs in the context of what we're trying to do here? How can I help them see that this is an environment where they can get what they need as a person as well as a sports person as well? Sarah, give us an example of where you've done that with a player, where you've had to start to build that kind of relationship, and, and what was your what was the approach that you took? Feels like an interview question that one, doesn't it? I'm sorry about that. that was a, can you give us an example, please? Uh, yeah, you're on mute, though, Sarah. God, I'm so annoyed. I'd done so well not to do that all session. Um, I was just writing something in the chat box. That's why I got a little bit distracted. About, and it was around, I heard a phrase last week, and it was um, connection over perfection. And it really resonated with me so much because I think as a coach, when we're learning, we're, we're constantly thinking about the session. And even, you know, in the last kind of few years when I was doing my A license, I got so distracted at times about putting on the perfect session or even thinking about the sessions that they would like. And I, you know, really forgot that actually my ultimate aim was to kind of make connections with all of the players and, you know, you know, all of the units and stuff. And, you know, I think that was just a good reminder that I had last week. But I came into Derby as someone that had actually played in a rival team um, and has coached a rival team. And so, you know, for me, that was quite difficult. Um, and we had a player that signed for us last year that you, somewhat people would consider was a real maverick, maybe possibly had a bit of a bad name in the game and would act out, um, had a terrible reputation. And I'd already decided, I think, in pre-season that I wasn't going to find coaching her very easy because her values and my values did not align. And I thought, I, you know, I'm not that kind of person. If if they're going to swear at the referee and chat back, I, I would haul them off the pitch. And I thought that, you know, that we weren't going to get on. Um, 
I really made a lot of effort in pre-season to kind of maybe get to know what was going off at, um, at home and kind of understand like where they were at. They've got a really interesting job. So I tried to understand that and kind of just kind of was really fascinated by what was what was driving them. But also what was interesting is I'm a great believer in that we're, we're different people at different points in our life. And she wasn't the same person. So if I'd have kind of already made a decision subconsciously in my mind that we weren't going to get on, but actually by giving them the benefit of the doubt and starting to learn and about the other side of that person, it gave me an opportunity to, to kind of go, oh, you know what, like the, the, there's a different side to someone and we, you know, you can tap into that part of someone, like what, who you are on the pitch is not necessarily the same person that you are in your, in your life. So by giving them that benefit of the doubt allowed me to make that connection. And I think that's so important. I believe that a coach, if you connect with people on a different level, you can get them to, either at a different point you can get them to, to to believe in themselves beyond what they they thought they were capable of and you can get them playing in a way that makes them free that makes them all mavericks in their own little way I suppose what's your thoughts on that Jonathan oh absolutely uh, I particularly like the point about you know different people at different times you know there was a comment in the chat about uh, about this you know I think as players and as coaches, we're constantly growing and constantly changing and evolving. And I think one of the beauties of, of, of sport is that it, it gives an opportunity for people to grow. And so as a coach, if you can see that your role is to uh, you know, nurture the human being in front of you to understand and to see where they are now and how you can help them move on a little bit. It's so, so important. Um, yeah, the connection, the curiosity, openness to them being different from you, super, super important. I've just put a question in the chat box that I think is a really important one that people go away and reflect on. Um, but how, how do you in your sport allow for people uh, to, to be themselves and, and be the best version of themselves? But different sports will have uh, different levels of safety and requirements. So um, being on the water in, uh, where things could potentially be dangerous are quite different for Jonathan to being on a big open football pitch like Sarah. So different sports have different boundaries, but I think it's an important one that you have to understand about the environment because you help to create that. And I think as coaches, that's probably the one big thing that we can do is how we shape the environment to allow for different people. But one of the things also that we talked about is, is how do we give them responsibility to kind of help maintain their influence, but also keep them informed? And, and how have you kind of gone about that, Jonathan, with some of the, the, uh, the environments that you've worked in? Oh, I can, look, I remember did some really important work. Gosh, it goes back a while now. It was early 2000s. It was just after lottery funding came into the new slalom. And, and so the sport went from being pretty much on a shoestring to suddenly having lottery funding, lots of money coming in, everything else. And we did a lot of work then to help the, the paddlers and the coaches at that time actually get really clear about what was the purpose of all this now. Because it went, you know, the, 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 I'm sure many coaches were in a situation where the lottery money started to arrive and suddenly it was like Christmas and everyone was running around doing all sorts of things um, without really having that alignment again. So go back to the autonomy and alignment. What are we here to do? What's the purpose of 
our enterprise, of our team, of our squad? What are we here to do? And is that something that's meaningful and motivating and exciting for everyone? Athletes, coaches, staff, are we on a mission together? Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's define that. Let's really talk. That's not just about winning this next match. Mm. It's beyond that. We're here for something more than that. What is that? Let's define that for our team, our squad, our club. What are we here to do in the long term? What is that? Why does that matter to each of us? And what's the role we have to play? So that was really important work in establishing a different culture within the sport at that time because there was more money coming in, there were more coaches that were being employed. And without that, I think there's a risk of a lot of that money just being wasted and dispersed because the culture hadn't been built. So that's what I mean about, about alignment. We've got a shared purpose here. If with that understanding, then you can give people autonomy in how do I get there? What's my role in achieving that purpose? And you can get the best of both worlds then. I mean, I think that's a, that's a brilliant point. I think really, as we start to close the show and summarise, that, that people can kind of take away. And I think regardless of the level you're working at, that is all still absolutely relevant. Whether you're working with 10-year-olds or whether you're working with 30-year-olds, uh, having that kind of collective understanding is crucial because, as Jonathan said earlier on there, that, that starts to kind of align people to, well, this is where we expect us to be. And you can then start to have the conversation once you're curious about behavior. Uh, if they overstep that and you've got a framework to operate within, it gives them that autonomy to operate within it. So, I mean, that's a lovely point to kind of start to summarize there. Sarah, what would be your kind of summary takeaway message that you know that you go, right, the coach is listening to this. This is something I really want them to go away and, and consider within their coaching. Um, I, I guess just kind of that like that last point that I made that um like probably just connection over perfection like it, it's just so important to 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 think about kind of how you connect with each individual and you know I was thinking back to what Jonathan was just saying then about ownership and stuff and you'll know this like when we were at the FA and we started to really introduce that I think we just a lot of coaches thought it was about getting the kids to pick up the balls and cones and that was what empowerment and ownership looked like and that was how we got them involved and stuff and it, it's just a bit more and it's more than knowing their names and it's more than asking them if they've had a good day it's kind of because you, you you want to and you you want you pay an interest to, to, to in their lives and, and what they're doing um i think another thing that i would just quickly been thinking about this whole time and it's just something to think about is is really the coaching team that, and being brave enough to kind of um think about that i think one thing that netball's pretty good at is on the bench they have a wide variety of different people because they consider the specialist across all the areas of the court i think in football we tend to pick people like us to be part of the coaching team and i, I wonder how much that has um an impact then on the team and the the, the, the ability to support individuals and, and, and different types of people within the team. So we see less mavericks. And I think, uh, so I would consider that, you know, don't be afraid to build coaching teams with people that don't agree with you. You know, if me and Nick coach together, like it would be a battle because we disagree on quite a lot of things, but that might cause a really positive um, outcome because we see things from a different perspective. And I think we have to be more comfortable with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point as well. That that kind of cognitive diversity we talk about, making sure that you know we don't just live in an echo chamber of people that just agree with us. Again, I think is a really, really important, well, and uh, important kind of message. So, um, thank you for that. There to finish. Um, 
again, I mean, I've got pages of notes here that I've, I've taken away and I could still go into, and I've got loads more questions. And um, so the, the two of you, thank you, Jonathan, for, for giving us some of your expertise and insight. And, and Sarah, thank you very much for exactly the same thing for, for your expertise and insight and the real world examples from, from different sports there. Um, over on Connected Coaches, we can continue the conversation. So there's an article over there that you can you can follow up that we've just put in the chat box there through Paul. Also, the the previous sessions, I think. So last week's session with Stephen Rolnick. I mean, what an absolute legend. And the depth of detail that we got into with the conversation there. Have a listen back to that as a session because it really starts to link into this one. Um, and also the one on the last dance that we referenced earlier on as well. So loads of great stuff in there. Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.